You're listening to Shields Up, a Star Trek podcast from More Trek Media. Welcome to Shields Up, a Star Trek podcast. I'm Chris and with me as always is Nev. Today we're talking about Star Trek the original series, season one, episode 23, Space Seed. The Enterprise finds the SS Botany Bay adrift in space, a pre-warp sleeper ship from Earth that contains several bodies and stasis. Among these is Khan Noonan Singh, a genetically engineered superhuman and one of the leaders of the eugenics war of the 1990s. Once Khan is woken from his long sleep, he soon reveals the ambition, strength and intelligence that helped him conquer a quarter of the Earth. Are you excited about this, Nev? <laughs> Chris, I cannot tell you how excited about this. I've been <laughs> wanting to do this one for ages. And now we're finally here. And I, yeah, I can't wait to talk all about this episode. I remember when we first started bandying the idea around about doing a Star Trek podcast and you was all about doing yeah, absolutely. this episode. It's, it's, it's an early Trek episode, but it, it's still, it's, it's one of my absolute favourites. I probably, you're probably tired of me talking about it by now, but um, I'm really glad that we're getting to do this. You've got, you know, the classic Trek, classic Trek cast in there and the introduction of an iconic villain. He is to my mind at least, absolutely unforgettable. In fact, he was so good, he warranted a second go with a full-blown movie. That's very true. He, When you talk about iconic Star Trek characters which aren't members of the crew, there are two that stand out. Our favourite, Hardcore Fenton Mud, and this guy. Yeah, absolutely. They, um, they've got all the classic elements of, of, of villains, but the the important thing that that they have is dimension. They are three dimensional, fleshed out characters who have their own motivations, who have their own backstory, who have their own um, reasons for grievance against Kirk and the crew. And and I think that's what really brings them to life. That and of course the people playing the roles. Yeah, indeed, indeed. They. I, you have to wonder if they had other people playing those roles, would they have been as iconic? You know, like uh, when, when Star Trek II film was being made, the, the guy who was tasked to write it looked through some episodes of Star Trek and Khan just stuck out to him. Because I think the, the story was he'd never watched Star Trek before when he got to direct it or, or, or the writer, I can't remember which one it is. So half, um, half Bennett, I think. So he watched the, yeah, he watched the whole original series, and Khan just stuck out. So he wrote the whole film about him, which I think is pretty good. <laughs> you know, to, for the fact that he stuck out so much, because he is he is, a, he is an amazing character in this. One one of the key things that he does so well, um, better than than. Unfortunately, our uh, our captain sometimes mm-hmm. is he shows his motivations by showing and not doing. Just look at the expressions on his face, for example. That hear the tone of his voice, see his body language. I think that really again fleshes him out, makes him makes him a, a three dimensional character. Yeah, he is. Yeah, Ricardo Montalban and his chest, who <laughs> is a very prominent in this show as well it's like 
two characters in one, isn't it? He's, he's got five outfits in this. And when they sent the costume department, the his dimensions, they were sure that the numbers were wrong. <laughs> because they were like, nobody is this, has this sort of physique at all. He, he is a he is a beautiful man, and his his uh, his sidekick, his chest, is also beautiful. That's right. Yeah, he is a superhuman, a superhuman chest. <laughs> I'm not, I don't know why I'm fixated on it, but it's it's there, isn't it? I think everybody is at some point, and I I think everybody who who's who's a fan of of, of uh, mm-hmm. Star Trek certainly. Uh, remembers the uh, the comment about the, in, in the in the movie itself um, whether his uh, he had a prosthetic chest. Oh, that's on. right. Yeah, and it's just <laughs> no. He's just he's just that much of a man. <laughs> <laughs> and he does go on to be quite quite a manly man in the in in this uh, episode as well, doesn't he? Oh yeah, very much so. What with um, MacGyver? Oh, I think that there, there might be a case for the, there's some a little bit of. Uh, old-fashioned 60s uh, attitudes in this uh, in this episode that I'm looking forward to getting my teeth into actually because <laughs> they, they end up being quite quite funny some but then quite thought-provoking others some of the attitudes that they have especially Kirk is very much um, still a misogynistic view from the 60s it is a product of its time although generally speaking and I believe most people are aware of this and praise it for it. It was exceptionally progressive, but I do still think they had to, at points, pander to the audience um, that they were playing to, and perhaps studio executives at the same time to ensure that they were getting the uh, you know the current the current beliefs mm-hmm. into play. Oh, the, the multicultural crew from all all over the world, Uhura, and you have Chekhov in there from season two onwards. Yeah, just all these people. Yeah, I was more more angling, angling onto the uh, onto the anti-communist stance, and yet they don't they don't have any money. Uh, but they, it just seems ironic that they that you have this anti-communist stance, particularly during the sixties. You've got the whole Reds under the bed, and all of that business, uh, McCarthyism, and so on. Um, but yet here you have the most popular show on TV is this it's not i would never say it's a communist utopia but it has elements of it in a utopian society almost yeah that's right because the federation is a doesn't have money yeah i don't recall mccoy asking for anyone's insurance details no that's very true that's very true yeah throwing them out of sick bay because they've um, can't afford their copay anyway back, back <laughs> to the episode sorry I, I i digress i sidetracked us no that's okay that's fine how this show opens, I quite like the cold open because it's just everyone on the bridge is incredibly tense straight away. Uh, the the Enterprise has found something. There's no like, oh, something's picked up on scanners. Yeah, um, I think it's the, the the tensions created by the unknown because at this point they don't even until they sort of scan it and look, announce what class mm-hmm. it is, they don't even know whether it's human, alien, or or what at this point. And so I I can imagine that that when you're approaching something that you would need to be cautious um, which kind of leads me on to actually there's um I do notice in this episode that they're a lot more willing to go to yellow alert or red alert than than say in discovery which we've watched quite a bit 
they're a whole lot more cautious about stuff. But perhaps that's again that's a product of the time. Yeah, I'm, I, I thought that as well because I noticed as soon as they said, "Oh, it's a ship," they said, "Oh, there's still it shows equipment and life signs on the ship, which is just drifting," and instantly red alert. <laughs> what? That's a, a bit of a extreme reaction to a 200-year-old ship just floating about in deep space. Because they already they already uh, mentioned it was a ship last built in like the 1990s, which is another thing I loved about 60s sci-fi and old-timey sci-fi. 30 to 40 years in the future, they think it's going to be like this space-traveling utopia. They had such high hope for us, high hopes for us, old... Um, sci-fi writers and we're not really that further along than they are uh, did you notice the um the ship the the botany bay looked a lot like a um submarine i suppose it does yes it it, it does seem to have that it's got that sort of it's, it's like a submarine with a couple of bits tacked onto the onto the uh the front sort of third section isn't it it's it's a nice little model i think because it, it shows that Especially when when the um, Enterprise pulls up alongside it, and you see like the the futuristic constellation class Enterprise against a ship which they said it was atomic powered, you know, interplanetary, not inter-system, right out in the middle of nowhere. There's a complete juxtaposition between the two. There's and and also it's pretty clear the scale of the Enterprise next to the Botany Bay is is quite something. Yeah, that is. It is, because it just pulls up alongside it, and it's just this tiny little craft, which is probably the peak of spacecraft's technology. In the 1990s. In the 1990s. <laughs> I do I do like the exposition that they do after this. You know, it's like the 1990s was the era of the last world war. We're, we're six episodes into the series, so... I think they're, you know, they're taking they're taking the opportunity to to give a bit more law in, into the series. It is quite funny the um, the the outlook that they had for us. I say funny. It's not funny actually, not in the least. No, no, it's not because you were talking about you know um, the red menace and and everything and and the fear of nuclear war in the sixties, and they're like going thirty years from now. Who knows what it's going to be like? And they don't say it's like nuclear war, do they? They call it a eugenics war. And these people are selectively bred to be bigger, stronger, cleverer humans. Or like the superhuman or what have you, which is another fear previously, wasn't it? Like eugenics experiments and things like that, which are big fears from around that time. Well, remember, it was only 20 years previous. A certain short mustachioed German was uh, attempting to breed... The, the Aryan race, <laughs> yeah. and remember, in context, that was this was 1969, so that no, would have early, made it 20. That, it's, was it's it? Like, yes, yeah, like 64 or something like that. 64. In that case, merely a uh, merely yeah, 20, 20 years, years earlier, merely mm-hmm. 20 years earlier, that was going on in 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 Germany in 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 a major power in the world. Yeah. That's, that's very true. And so like 30 years, which is where they put the, um, the, the next world war, isn't really that much of a stretch no. for the imagination of these people. Like some of the younger crew members probably remember watching it, living through it. Some of the older ones were probably enlisted. 
Exactly. So it's it's well within living memory. It's barely a generation divorced from it. Yeah, yeah, barely, barely a generation. And yeah, and then they're going thirty years in the future. What's it, what's that kind of hold? Yeah. So they're talking all about the um, about this, and then they go, "Well, we've taken away crew over." Kurt goes, um, says something along the lines of, "Oh, who's that lieutenant something?" And and he goes, "It's a chance for a historian to do something for a change." which I thought was a brilliant line. So Kirk has a member of his crew who is a historian, obviously does something else on the ship, but he doesn't rate her as a historian because he wouldn't put a throwaway line like that. In fact, he doesn't even know her name. Spock has to remind him what his her name is, which is Lieutenant McGiv- McGivers, but he calls her McGivers and has to be correct- corrected again. So he thinks so little of her in her profession aboard his ship he doesn't he can't even be bothered to learn her name but that is a bit that is a bit mean isn't it yes yeah yeah but that's that's the thing i got on there just just totally dismissing her entire career as being a starfleet officer as well yeah i i don't know if it's a slight on her personally or whether it's a slight on 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 historians in general or maybe it's, i think it's probably my take on it is is it's his opinion of the use of an historian on what he sees as a as a uh, an exploration ship uh, a police action ship uh, you know uh, mm-hmm. not a warship but certainly something that's armed and ready to defend itself you know what use is an historian going to be there maybe he should uh, consider who uh, who writes the history <laughs> exactly what shocked me the most about it, though, is even if he doesn't care for her being on board, or not particularly her, but a historian on board, is that he doesn't even know the name of the person on there. I think I think as the series goes on, he does warm to the idea he has a crew, and that they're all individuals, and have their own uses. Uh, but if you look at, for example, uh, I'll, I'll go back to Ratha Khan again. Look at him inspecting the engineering crew on the uh, on the training crews, and just see how you know he when he's uh, walking along them, the amount of pride he has in them. To be fair, he's not the captain of that of the of the Enterprise at this point, but he is inspecting the crew, and he's dead proud of his cadets. Yeah, that's true. That that must be something he learned as he got older and was promoted to admiral. Yeah. I was trying to think of an example in STO when, when that happened, and I'm sure there's plenty, but I just can't think any off, off the top of my head. I don't know, it just it just baffles me, because the, the Enterprise had, what, 200 people on it? I think it was around that, yeah. Yeah, and there's, like, um, just one person that he he knows enough to comment about. <laughs> it's just... It's just... I don't, yeah, it's another thing that I'm getting hung up on. I just don't understand it. Probably because I like Picard. And he knows it. He knows everyone. I did. I did notice that you're getting hung <laughs> yeah, up. On it. Yes. Sorry. Should we move on? He's definitely no Picard in that respect. No. Yeah. All right. Let's move on. Sorry. Let's move on. Right. Yeah. We can cut a lot of that guff out. So what happens next? One of the pods awakens, doesn't it? Because they they're just on a ship, and there's just all these sleeping people. Yeah. They 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 talk about um you know, the technology there and. And Scotty's talking about, he says, transistors or integrated circuits, some advanced technology like that. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he says, he says something about uh, transistors, doesn't he? 
I don't think there's anything particularly special about the interior of the ship. They've they've just put together some sort of sleeping compartments and lit them and have people laying down in there. I don't think there's anything really personally noteworthy uh, about the interior of the ship. One, one thing that does really stick out in my mind, though, almost immediately after Kirk's comment, within a, a minute or two, we have soft light shots of MacGyver. Mm. Am I calling it MacGyver, or am I just thinking she's going to going to jerry-rig something up it, no yeah that's uh, what i, I said it right it's macgyvers 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 yes yeah <laughs> anyway yeah so we got this um lovely soft light soft lighting on her and soft focus and it's clear from that that she is definitely a person to watch in this episode very much so yeah because she's sort of front and center there is I'm, I'm watching it on netflix as we're talking about it and and khan's um pod comes alive and there's just a shot of her looking all hot under the collar while she's looking at him in his um fishnet <laughs> it's a fishnet suit. Isn't it? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what which is it yeah it's a fishnet suit well they got that part of the future right at least you haven't seen my wardrobe <laughs> oh right lovely i don't want you to know thank you very much <laughs> The, the the comment she makes when she sees him laying there, oh, he's from northern India, yeah. probably a Sikh. And it's like, how can you make that assumption? <laughs> like, they don't know anything about him. That that aged well, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. The fact that he's Mexican. Yeah. The guy, the guy got, she's well horny for him, isn't she? You know, have you how you how she's looking at, how she's just looking at him and and ignoring Kirk when he's asking the her questions she's very doe-eyed she is she's she's all like hot under the <laughs> collar <laughs> they were they were the most fantastic warriors <laughs> that's right what she said about the sea yeah the, on the ship no logs no records nothing 72 people alive yeah out of is it uh, 84 i think yeah something like that um and they're trying to bandy around what the ship was and why there's no records was it a prison ship or something else and and spot leads into the um theory again that they just got over the eugenics war so they wouldn't have bothered spending out the um the resources to send a ship out there they do board and end up with more questions and answers and i, I think that adds to the tension as well mm. again it's more unknown stuff more what's going to happen next who's this who are we really talking to why are they even here yeah that's that's very true it's, it's a good episode in the fact that you find out stuff more th- at the same time as the as the crew are. It's some good writing about um, the things that are coming along, or, or you know, the information is drip fed to you. You know how um, Khan is just holding all his cards to his chest because he knows that there's no records on the ship, so they won't know who he is. So he just says, "My name is Khan." Yeah, and and of course Khan's woken up. He's got no idea who these people are, as well. So. As far as he's concerned, they could they could be enemy agents. They could be the people who overthrew him and and his his people. So he absolutely, like you said, he plays his cards close to his chest because it's the only sensible thing for him to do. Yeah, that's right. He he doesn't give anything away more than the bare minimum. Yes, it's like even when Kirk's first time Kirk speaks to him. And he's asking questions and he just sort of brushes them off. I'm very tired because he's also used to being the person in charge and everybody doing what he's everybody doing what he says. So there's 
bits later on in the episode where he gets frustrated really quickly because people aren't showing him the respect that he thinks he deserves. Yeah, he clearly, as you say, he's well used to being in charge. And again, I'll go back to what I said earlier. It's, It's about those, the little small expressions on his face where he shows his frustration as opposed to goes and shouts like a like a like a, a regular villain you, you're right he does show his frustrations through like a eyebrow or, or his mouth tightening you know or his eyes or something very small movements in his face which show annoyance and anger it's not like a um, Agatha Christie film where when Poirot or Miss Marple points out the baddie and instantly they're smoking on a cigar in one of those filter things. You go, yes, that's right, I did it, and I'll do it again. <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> as soon as they're found out, it's it's very subtle. There, There's a few Star Trek villains I can think of that, that might <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, Law. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> Law. Yeah, he, he's a... He's a proper pantomime villain isn't he he is he's so much fun yeah he's great he's funny there's some great bits you know where khan wakes up and he just grabs bones because he wakes up when uh, mccoy's in the other office and he hears him and he picks up the scalpel off the handy um instrument stuck to the wall and, and then he goes back to sleep again when mccoy walks back in and he just grabs him and holds the knife up to his throat or khan grabs mccoy and McCoy being cool as anything just says either choke me or cut my throat make up your mind without showing fear or or moving or anything he's just like do what you're going to do yeah McCoy's attitude is I've seen enough of this you know I've seen this plenty of times before and he knows exactly how to deal with it yes yeah that's right yeah just not even doing anything and then he just says like oh if you cut the carotid artery underneath my right left ear that'll do the trick super quick and Khan's response as well was 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 great. I like that, the way he he said, you know, I, I like a brave man. Yeah, because he still doesn't know about the rest of his crew either, does he? So he's like, I'm awake, but what about my crew? And when they say like, oh, 72, he's they're all fine. He's grateful for that, and I think perhaps you know he's he's impressed with McCoy's bravado, bravery, I should say, because it's not bravado, is it? It's just do what you're gonna do. But he's like, oh, you're a doctor, definitely a doctor. I know that, but I might need you to help me with the other people because he's helped Khan. I'll tell you something, having lived in the South for a good few years, <laughs> there's plenty of Southerners who are as upfront and ballsy as that. They're, uh, they're, they're not backward in coming, in coming forward, I can tell you that much. <laughs> no, no, I, yeah, can, they're, I they're can imagine. Fairly... Um, fairly upfront about their feelings sometimes even though even if it's under the sort of veneer of of southern southern politeness i'm not complaining i love it i think it's it's great you always know where you stand with them especially when you learn the the phrases like uh, oh bless your heart now that was a terrible impersonation (laughs) oh yeah that that so MacGyver's. She's got a big fascination with strong historical figures because um, Khan walks in and goes, "Oh look, there's um, what's his chops and faceache over there." What's his chops? <laughs> what's his chops? <laughs> what's his chops and faceache? <laughs> yeah, you know, um, <laughs> she she's talking about because she's she's an artist. We saw earlier in the episode that she's painting, and she's got all of these um, paintings that she's done in her quarters of 
but there's Napoleon there, I think, isn't there? And um, quickly, say a name before I look um, stupid. There is. There are <laughs> numerous historical figures. <laughs> That's right, numerous historical figures who are who are historical, and there are a num there are a number of them <laughs> who are historical. I do take issue with a bit of this because she, the the words coming out of her mouth are the words of someone with a with genuine professional interest in 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 the subject uh, she's she's an historian so she would have studied many years to 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 be able to take that role but then it's completely juxtapositioned by her body language and all the soft focus lighting on her she she is she's a professional and she has just witnessed one of the great or infamous, but probably, figures of the late 20th century come to life before her very eyes. It would be like meeting Julius Caesar or, or, or to take the more infamous side, Brutus. Yeah, like an Egyptologist suddenly just talking to um, Cleopatra or anything like that. Yeah, she's in awe of him, obviously attracted to, to him as well. But yeah, but trying to remain professional but totally in awe, totally in awe of him. I can't decide whether it's whether it's she herself, she's confusing her professionalism with, you know, with this amazing man and sort of conflating the two. I can't, uh, or whether the show's pushing her what? towards it or, or what, because there is a bit where, where Kirk is talking with her and he talks about, about her professional interest and the, her interest in Khan, you know, talking about how these men were more adventurous then, or words to that effect. It's almost like he's pushing her in that direction, you know what I mean? Yeah, this is asking the question, is she attracted to him because of him there and then, or is she more attracted to him because he's a figure stepped out of the past, and that's where she lives? Because it's her job being a historian, but it's obviously also yeah. her hobby and a big passion of hers. Her entire cabin is... Like you said, the bust of Julius Caesar there, and all the paintings that she's done are of historical figures, of historical men as well. There's no like still life there or anything, so she's obviously a talented artist. Yeah, I, I, I think she's got swept up in the whole thing uh, of meeting him, and of course he is a beautiful man with a beautiful chest, so it's easy to understand why. Yeah, he's 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 really charismatic, and he's playing on there as well. Like right after he she he sees the picture of her. He just walks over to her and kisses her. Not that he finds her attractive as well, but later on it, it just goes to show that he wants somebody on board the ship to help him take the ship. He's using her attraction to him to get what he wants, not because he also attracted to her. He's charismatic and, and, and manipulative with it as well. Because of his intellect, he's able to discern the right buttons to push with people. Yes, yeah, especially like later on after um, after their meal that they have. She goes to his apartment to apologise and he just goes to kiss her. And she goes, no, no, I don't want this. He goes, well, go or stay, but do it because it's what you want to do. He grabs her wrist and is hurting her and telling her that he's got to help her. You know, and it's it's like she he already knows that she's going to do it and then reinforcing these things if you don't do it i don't want anything more to do with you when he knows that he's already drawn her in that's perfect manipulation there but like yeah because he's hurting her and then she she 
he tells her that what mm. she's going to do for him. And then he asks a question and angrily shouts back yeah. to him not to question him. You know, and then she promise and then she promises to help. While she's obviously traumatized and doesn't want to do it, but she feels like she's been pushed because she wants to spend more time with this man, mainly because she's attracted to him, but also because she wants to know about the time that he came from. Yeah, she mentions earlier in the episode when she's talking with uh, with Kirk, desire to explore his his amazing mind. She wants to tease all that information out of his out of his brain from that time, so that she could get a real primary source. Yeah, yeah, because added on to that as well is there's a time they say, like, because it was launched in the mid-90s, Star Trek time, a lot of the records were destroyed or mm. inaccurate because of the wars that were going on. So professionally fair, say his amazing mind, it's with the soft lighting and the look on her face, it's like, oh, she's just saying that because she's just physically attracted to him. But professional in her is saying... Well, he has got an amazing mind because yes. he lived in a time which we don't know a lot about. She is in the perfect position to take advantage of this opportunity. And for her, it will be like the, the first person to do something in her profession. Like, you know, first person on the moon, first person to the Antarctic. It would be a, a great, like the equivalent of one of the great expeditions. Yeah, just imagine the paper that she writes. They do eventually find out who he is because of his, because of his his slip up in the dinner isn't it we offered the world order and when they went back through the the archives Khan and 84 83 of his comrades disappeared without a trace after they were overthrown yeah so they find out who he is based on the dinner like you said because his arrogance got the better of him eventually Kirk goes to confront him yeah he's, he's, Khan's wearing his Starfleet uniform now yeah, ironically, strangely enough, he's actually in a, in a in a red shirt. Yeah, I know. Which, you know, with the with the trope of Star Trek, I was thinking, is he about to die? Yeah. <laughs> they normally don't get speaking no. parts. <laughs> this is the most talkative <laughs> red shirt ever. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I don't think they they need to go through those public speaking courses at Starfleet, do they? Khan is, is obviously thinking about how he's in the place where he is, hoping that MacGyver's is pulling through because he doesn't know for sure whether she'll go through with it, I think, at this point. So when Kirk goes into his room, he's sitting there and he goes, oh, sorry, I was lost in thought. And then he just puts on the charm. And he goes, oh, my door is locked and there's a guard outside. And Kirk just responds with unusual treatment for Khan, Noon and Singh. And he's just like, excellent, well done, you. You've, you identified me with your computer system, I imagine. <laughs> Well, they he, they did give him access to the computer system, which does become relevant. Yeah, he does. Yeah, all the technical manuals and everything. Like straight away, yeah, sure. Just have a look through the specs of the ship. What? Yeah, that does seem a little bit lax on their part in terms of security. Mm. Like, you know, if you if you captured someone, you say, yeah, sure, yeah. There's the uh, there's the um, specs for our for our fighter aircraft and and all of that. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Especially like a genetically engineered being from, from the 1990s who you knew was responsible, or a group of them were responsible for a three-year-long war where they bombed entire... I think they said mentioned that they bombed entire cities out of existence. To be fair, they didn't know that then, but even so, 
with all the questions and the intrigue around the Botany Bay and the people on it. Yeah, yeah. Just take humans, a few precautions. Humans that deep into space, which they know are genetically modified. Hold on a second. Perhaps we shouldn't give them technical specifications of the starship because we don't know who this guy is. However, he comes from an area, of, uh, an era of time where a group of people just like him caused war. You're like, here you go. Have Here's some entertainment. Brief history of the Federation. Not instantly, oh, look, here's the engine schematics. <laughs> you know, Let's give you the, uh, the Haynes manual for the en- Enterprise to read. <laughs> That's right. What about the takeover? I mean, it just happens, doesn't it? I was hoping you'd give a bit more detail than that, but okay, it happens. <laughs> oh no, it's it's uh, it just, no, it just happens. Um, Kirk interviews him. Khan is is saying like, oh yeah, you've got technical stuff, but there's been no improvement on the human because yeah. he thinks he's better. That he he thinks that like everybody, the same weak humans that you were when I controlled the world. And then uh, he there's a show of his superhuman strength when he pulls the door open. And when he hits that guard outside, he goes. He just does a somersault, and then MacGyver's is uh, gets the transporter chief out of the way, and and then they teleport, transport, teleport, <laughs> and they transport over to um, the Botany Bay and revive everybody else. When Kirk confronts Khan, Khan Noonien Singh, it's his choice of words. He mm. he speaks as though not only is is he above Kirk being a mere standard normal human it's almost as though he is a a, a greater species that the next step in evolution that's exactly how khan sees himself and his um his chums is that they are better in every way the kelvin timeline khan he says oh you think well, what does um kirk say to him khan says i am better and kirk says what and he says everything that's that's where that was trying to get to <laughs> That, that's exactly this Khan when he was talking to Kirk there at, at the table. It's like, we are better in every single way. Do you know, I've, I've, I've got a new subheading for this episode, by the way. You want to hear it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's Star okay. Trek original yeah. series, STO, season one, episode 23, Space Seed, brackets, Khan and Chums. Because this is the second time you've said it. <laughs> Khan and Chums. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know. I, I used pals earlier, but uh, I like the word chums. Ch- Khan and his murderous chums. <laughs> it's funny how they're doing all the stretches when he's waking them up and nobody says anything. There's a bit where he's walking down the line and the girl at the front with the pointy boobs, the, the camera gets to her and she notices <laughs> and pouts and stares directly at the camera. I, I, I will have a look. I've never noticed that before. I've seen this episode so many times. I was probably, I, I probably wasn't looking at her eyes. To be fair, <laughs> if, if you have a look, it's, it's like fourth wall breaking, man. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. You just see them, and then all of a sudden, ta-da! War Factor Two maintain. You know, they're just going through the normal day-to-day running of the ship. Security say Khan's escaped. Security alert, and then its communication channels are jammed. Nothing's working. The turbo lift isn't working. Just like that, security have noticed Garns out escaped. How quickly they've taken over the entire ship and routed everything through engineering. So, like, no bridge controls work anymore. And he just tells Kirk, your ship is mine. Straight away. That's it. He gathers gathers them all up in engineering and sits them all down for a little a little powwow. A little powwow. <laughs> Khan and Khan powwow's powwow. 
Come on, chums. You know, like I keep, I have a thing about like in the future why ships can be taken over so easily, and I'm like, where are the cameras and the security controls, or maybe in corridor phases or something like that? They bring this up here that um, that they have intruder circuits where they can just flood the ship with with gas to knock everybody out. Mm-hmm. They've thought of everything and, and even um, turned that off so they can't do anything. Yeah, I guess it would be the same as going in and knocking out the CCTV or infrared mm-hmm. sensors and so on. But it's always bo- it's always bothered me in Star Trek how people can just wander around the ships and nobody knows where they are and how easily it is for some people to get into restricted areas or hold of critical systems. And there doesn't seem to be any security as opposed to like, you know, just the normal bodies. There's no cameras or automatic force fields or phases that's set to stun just to shoot them out. It's always <laughs> bothered me in Star Trek. But I suppose you wouldn't have half the stories if that was the case, would you? You wouldn't, but in in this situation, then Khan obviously manages it and just takes it completely out of the loop, eliminates the threat. I have to say that when, when he gathers them up, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable watching a woman being sort of manhandled around, and that's just me being old-fashioned, when, when they, you know, he picks up a hura and flings her down into, into that chair. But... That aside, I have to say that Uhura here, Nichelle Nichols, when she looks up at that, when you have that that focus in on her, her face after she after she can take a punch yeah. though, <laughs> can't but, she? But when, but, when, um, when when he flings her into that chair and she looks up, she is absolutely stunning, absolutely beautiful. I mm-hmm. I was just I'm wowed by that every time I see her. Yeah, she is a very very attractive woman. It's not nice watching that. Regardless of who it is, I just wanted to say about that particular shot. She just looks gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I'm, I'm watching the scene now. Where he goes uh, engage the viewing screen, and she's just looking at him, and it's just like defiance. Yeah. Oh, she's she's ballsy. And then he That's, just yeah. Oh yeah, there you go. There's a look. Oh, there you go. Takes a punch. She just looks back up at him in defiance as well. She's a really great casting choice. And controversial at the time as well to have a, mm-hmm. you know, a, a black woman being an officer on on the bridge. The operator, obviously. Well, she does. <laughs> yeah, they can't yeah, she is the she is the operator. She's she's <laughs> a bit of a glorified receptionist, but she is still a regular character. Yeah, yeah. First interracial kiss as well. Her and Spock. Her and Spock. Her, Her and Kirk. Kirk. Yeah, you're thinking of um, you're thinking of Kelvin yeah. timeline. Please do not bring that in. No, um, sorry. Yeah, that. But that look of defiance. My. I think that would have spoken to a lot of people as well. Mm-hmm. Somebody trying to oppress her and being specifically a black or African American woman. That look of defiance would have resonated with a lot of people. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. that would have done. Yeah, it's just especially a big strong white man hitting a black woman. Not that I don't come from a country where we have that problem or from a time where we've had massive race issues i think we're kind of lucky in this country because of that but i couldn't begin to understand the plight of this time for african americans living in segregation or anything like that you know so you're right i think it probably did speak out to people in that situation where they, I, I believe, oh, segregation was within a few years' living memory of this when this was filmed and, and broadcast. And indeed, I think 
it may still have been going on, I think it was at Louisiana, mm-hmm. Mississippi, that it mm-hmm. was still effectively a legal thing at this time. But whether it was legal or not, it was still very much in effect in many places, um, mm. particularly the Deep South at the time. So I, I think she she would have, you know, look, we, I'll be honest, mm-hmm. I, same mm-hmm. as you, I, I cannot say that I empathize with her because I've never been in that position um, myself. And you're, you're right, we're very fortunate in this country that that segregation hasn't existed. Um, racism always exists it'll always be there I mean just look at what's happened politically in the states Um, all this stuff was sitting there brimming like a like an undercurrent just waiting Mm -hmm. for a vector in order for it to come to prominence and for those people with that way of thinking to have the opportunity to, to ride that vector into the public, into the light. Mm-hmm. And now people can openly speak about things like the prejudices they have. Uh, and I do believe that in the UK, we have that to some degree as well. Yeah, after Brexit, there was a lot of that come out. Um, you know, like people harassing... Um, as citizens for the different you know who yeah. weren't white and a lot of that has died down again now because it's not slightly different where we don't have a uh, people in charge who actively encourage that sort of behavior it's still there i mean like look at potato face farage you know he's he's guilty of why stirring up racial people hatred. still give that man tv time and indeed um, we're talking about him yeah i know i know yeah right we are we are oh yeah i hate that man yes yeah, so do i should we get back to the show instead of talking about things we're not really qualified to talk about i think that's probably as, a good as, idea as straight white men in their 40s who live in relative comfort in the united kingdom yeah, uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's it's, that's probably a wise choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so okay. yeah, uh, Uhura is 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 assaulted by by um, a tall white security. Oh no, sorry, we're getting off of that. <laughs> Uhura, Uhura <laughs> we're going on to it again. Let's get back and and MacGyver's. Uh, interrupts mm-hmm. to stop him before he continues. That's right. And then they show Kirk in the decompression chamber, you know, struggling. And um, and this is the point where MacGyver's has um, second thoughts about it, about what she got involved with, because she leaves, doesn't she? And and Khan has another go about, you know, we're better than you. Take a starship, and well, I need your crew, and we're going to go to this colony planet, and we're going to take it over. And then he threatens everybody and with um, throwing them into the chamber after Kirk. And it, it's still saying like, you know, we're better than you, and, we, and, and you're our subjects, and that's all you are to us. Because he keeps on going on and on again about, um, you know, you've made all these technical technological advances but you haven't improved on yourself yeah, and it's that it's that pride that arrogance that is the reason that he allows macgyvers to go because 
he thinks she's too she's just being weak and not not able to handle the conversation and the actions and so therefore it's it's just a case of him not thinking she is capable of guile no because you go, i thought you'd be stronger in a dismissive way and then she leaves yeah the view screen shuts off and they and khan's just like i'm so in control and nothing can go wrong i've got full control of everything kirk's dead it doesn't matter take mr spock next do, do you know what i think that's one one thing that i'd like to have seen this episode explore more although of course you know there's time constraints and you've got to fit all this there's a lot of story and twists and turns in this i'd have been really interested in finding out more about khan's reaction yeah. to meeting an alien for the first time yeah or in the form of Spock. or um if there was a because it's a very human crew isn't it everybody is apart from spock what if there was an andorian mm. on there yeah or a um an orion with the with the green skin and or or yeah. a kelpian or or anybody yeah does does he say spock is next because he's second in command or does he say spock is next because he's just an alien he's he's below us just send him away get rid of him we'll get to the more important people later that's that's a good question i think it's it's he you could read it both ways don't you i think it's because he's the first officer we just go through the down the change of command until we get to somebody who will cooperate with me yeah, I think he'd already proven um, himself at, at dinner, mm-hmm. Spock. Yeah. That he, he was not going to have the wall pulled over his eyes at all by Khan. No, and it's, it's, it's just it's because he's second in command. He already knows what he's like. He goes, I have no use for this man whatsoever, so get rid of him. But you could take it another way of the fact that he thinks he's a superior person. So humans, normal people, normal humans are beneath him, and aliens are even lower on there depending on how you I, I want to look at it. I think it could go either way. It's, it's either he's an, an alien and mm-hmm. so he's bottom of the pile as far as he's concerned or he's a, an irritation with all these questions the logical questions that he cannot charm or intimidate his way out of. I, I definitely think it's uh, there's no way I can use this man in any way shape or form and he's going to be in my way and I need to get rid of him the same way he gets rid of Kirk because Kirk's in charge it's his, his he's the person who's directly opposing him commander of all of these people on the ship I'll, I'll get rid of him so you can't look to your captain to save you and then I'll get rid of Spock because there's no way that I can use him or manipulate him Khan's take on things it's very much how you would expect it to be done in life you know how do you kill a snake you cut off its head whereas many times when when there's a a crew member been captured it's ensign smith has been captured or or whatever Mm -hmm. as opposed to the captain the first officer one of the bridge crew even though they go on more away missions than anyone else (laughs) yeah senior senior staff when kirk comes into the um engineering and khan just grabs him and then just crushes the phaser it shows her how strong khan is and um and Kirk's expression is like oh crap what am I going to do because Khan has proven that he's smarter and stronger than the normal person is and and Kirk's still standing there fighting probably thinking how am I going to win against somebody so calm and composed there is there is one way that he can do that he just substitutes himself for someone who's better at fighting 
Which he does. <laughs> yeah. With the um, the very obvious <laughs> stunt doubles that are doing a wrestling match. He looks nothing like Go. No, no, he doesn't at all, does he? I just I do like the bit he goes um, after the fight. Uh, Khan is still mocking him. He goes, uh, "You're no match for me. I have five times your strength." And Kirk's like, "I've got a stick." Actually, <laughs> I, I, it's not a stick. This I think is it's very very pertinent for for current times. Mm. Actually, Kirk then defeats Khan, not with a stick. Mm but with a giant hand sanitizer dispenser from a bottle. <laughs> that does look like a hand sanitizer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I can't believe... I, I noticed Spock... Oh, sorry. I noticed Scotty punch a guy for no reason, but I missed the fact that they look like <laughs> yeah, hand sanitizer is, is things. It. He has got his, <laughs> his uh, bottle of, uh, of, of Sanex, sponsored by... Um, he's got his bottle of, uh, of hand sanitizer. Mm. He's got a giant industrial one somewhere. And so, therefore, he whips out this hand sanitizer pump dispenser and proceeds to pummel calm with it. So, you see, it defeats, mm. you know, bad baddies, big and small. Yes. It does. Baddies, big and small, 99% of them. <laughs> it does look silly. It does, doesn't it? He just, he's, he's down. You know, he gets he gets punched once in the uh, stomach with a stick, and he's down. And then Kirk just just keeps wailing on him until he's like, "Oh, actually, I've got to stop the ship from exploding." It, <laughs> it was a bit anticlimactic that, but but then I suppose you know Kirk's our hero, mm. and and we you know we're, we're yeah. starting to run out of time in the episode, so we need to to let's let's wrap it up, boys. <laughs> right, yeah, come on, wrap it up, <laughs> wrap it up, boys. Yeah. And they're all back in uh, command and they're, they're um, finding out what to do with Khan. And this is where Kirk decides to leave him on, uh, on the planet. Yes. Doesn't he? And he said he's quite savage. They, would, they wouldn't last very long in the Federation at all with how ordered it is. They wouldn't be able to do what they'd normally do. Like they did on the ship, you know, take over. They wouldn't be able to, to do anything. So, and Kirk knows that. Kirk knows that they wouldn't fit in the Federation. So he tells them that he's going to drop them off on... Was it Tau Seti Five? He says it's rather Seti Alpha Five. Seti Alpha, Seti that's Seti it. Alpha Seti five. Alpha Five. This is Seti Alpha Five. <laughs> he says it's a it's a savage planet, but and they they comment on what would these people who are driven and powerful and intelligent what they could achieve with being on that planet, being left alone to do what they can because they're not going to have anybody bother them there, are they? Yeah, and not and nothing bad could ever come at this decision no of course not no i mean they leave him on a on an abandoned planet and then um macgyver's goes with them yes you know which and then khan i think gets a new respect for her after that bringing it back because he goes oh maybe you are a strong woman because he says that she wasn't strong enough when she he thought that she couldn't watch him torture and murder her crewmates but then what choice did she have she had choice of either going to live with these people or court martial in prison well i, I think <laughs> you know perhaps what, what would you uh, perhaps, uh, perhaps she's looking at this still as an opportunity to study a real life historical figure in person again and further mm-hmm. so i'm sure that factors into it as well as well as her adoration of khan the yeah. man she also has an adoration for the for the history and knowledge he could give her and then um 
Khan mentions says something about a Milton reference, doesn't he? And about why he's okay about going to this planet because it's the Milton references is uh, better to rule in hell than to serve in heaven. Because uh, Khan uh, it wouldn't fit into the Federation in the slightest, nor neither would his chums. Spock says it will be interesting to go back in a hundred years and see what has sprung from this seed you planted. And I think perhaps that line inspired the return to this character as well. Yeah, the fact, the fact that he's an amazing character, as well as that line, you know, when you're thinking, oh God, I've got to write a film. Hold on a second. This man is amazing. So the the episode just includes so many uh, examples of things mm-hmm. that are relevant today as, as they were then. Like, for example, at the beginning, the tension on approaching the unknown. We get to experience that tension and the unknown with, for example, Russia, the former USSR. Mm-hmm. It's not the Soviet Union anymore. It is a lot more open than it was, but there is still definitely an unknown element to it and definite tension in some of the words that have been exchanged between Russia and other governments, including our own. China is also another. North Korea. All these are still relevant today as as they were then. It's just different aspects. The players may have changed, but the game is still the same. Regarding Mm -hmm. Khan... I think what we talked about with with the fear of genetic manipulation that that exists today as well. I don't know if you remember the whole Dolly the sheep thing back in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a big big furore over that. Oh yeah, yeah. And there's still fear about it now with genetically modified crops and and animals. So less people manipulation and more more other organisms. Um, I don't think we're about to be taken over by genetically modified tomatoes anytime soon, but the day may come. <laughs> the day may come. No, that's right. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes would be a weird one. Well, I think that about wraps it up for us. You have been listening to the Shields Up podcast. I am Nev, and with me has been Chris. This has been Season 1, Episode 23, Space Seed, from the original series of Star Trek. Next up, we are going to cover the amazing Wrath of Khan, the follow-up to this uh, particular episode. So, I'm really excited about it. Chris, are you looking forward to it? I think that is probably my favourite Star Trek film, so very much excited about watching that and talking about it. As am I. I'm... It's so difficult. It's, is it is it Wrath of Khan, Undiscovered Country? <clears throat> Either way. Next time we talk, we'll be talking about Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan. Until then, this is Shields Up Podcast.